This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Hi, guys. Today, we've got a return guest on the podcast. His name is Sean Carney. So Sean is the CEO and president of 40 Days for Life, and he co-founded this organization back in 2004. So 40 Days for Life is an international anti-abortion organization that campaigns against baby murder in more than 60 countries. And I wrote this down. This actually came up during the interview. They've convinced 240 abortion employees, abortion facility employees, to leave their jobs. To date, they have saved over 21,000 babies' lives, and they have gotten 116 abortion facilities around the globe to close. I mean, they are right in the thick of it. I absolutely love this organization. So Sean has also written four best-selling books on the subject, and his last one is the one that we had him on the podcast to talk about previously, episode 262. It's called What to Say When, The Complete New Guide to Discussing Abortion, How to Change Minds and Convert Hearts in a Brave New World. And so in this interview, we didn't get to spend a whole lot of time talking about you know pro-abortion arguments and how to defeat those things, but that book is in the show notes. You need to get that book. You need to read it if you have not done that before. And again, I mentioned he was here on episode 262, with his partner, Steve Carlin. And he is also depicted in the pro-life movie Unplanned. And I talked about that on episode 70 of this podcast. But in this podcast, we talk about, you know, how he got into the whole subject of life and kind of when that kind of started for him, you know, his reaction to the Dobbs decision, his reaction to the leak, you know, which come, came out about a, a month before that, what pro-lifers should be focusing on now. But we went down a, a few different rabbit trails about, you know, the full criminalization of abortion and how people are using the word unthinkable to describe abortion right now, how Democrats are going to try to react. And and guys, like he he's a guy that would describe himself as a pessimist, which I would describe myself as a pessimist as well. But he was very optimistic optimistic on what we are going to see in terms of abortion in this country as we move forward in terms of the laws, in terms of the actual uh, things happening and, you know, women actually choosing not to kill their children, but to keep their children. It was a really, really fun conversation. As I tell you all the time, if I don't get to most of my questions in the interview, the interview typically works out better. And we did not get to even half of the stuff that I wanted to ask him, but it was a great 60 minutes. I hope you guys enjoy it. So without further ado, let's get into it. Sean Carney, welcome back to Undaunted Life of Man's podcast. It's good to be back. Thank you. Appreciate well, it. The first time we had you on, we had your buddy, Steve, with you. Okay, so I don't know if you're comfortable with, you know, just hanging out with me alone. Last time you guys had me outnumbered. Is this going to be okay? No, we're good. Steve is out in the woods with no access to the world. So we, we should probably be a little jealous of him, but now, I'm, I'm happy world? to be on. I, what I is he doing you. out there? What's he doing out there? You know, he wouldn't. I, uh, he's not hunting. He lives in Wisconsin, so I don't. He just said uh, he'll be out in the woods. He's on vacation. And uh, okay. I don't know if it's like a family reunion in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. I don't know if he's he's he walking around with like a, a spear hunting something. But um, he could be making it up, I suppose. He just doesn't want to be bothered. And that's cool, too. But he I told mean, me he's, he's out in the woods. Is it possible they, that that's where they make all their cheese in that state, they, they make it in the woods. Is that like, maybe he'll send me some, is this, is this possible? Yeah. Every time I go up there, he's got cheese curds for me. And I mean, God bless Wisconsin because when they're not eating the raw cheese curds, which apparently they have to be squeaky. I've learned this and that makes the real cheese curd when you're chewing them, they squeak, but they'll fry them. And those are, that's golden. And, uh, I remember years ago I, I did a, a talk, uh, for a, a Christian school, they were starting a Catholic school up there, and I went up there for free, and and I wanted to help them get started. 
And so as, as a thank you, this guy sent me his Dallas Cowboy Green Bay Packer tickets at Lambeau on the 50-yard line, 12 Whoa. rows up. It was awesome. It was awesome. And, of course, I wore my Cowboy jersey, and it was very hostile. But uh, it was awesome. Lambeau is really, really cool. Definitely typical, worth going. Typical Cowboys fan. You still think you're relevant even after all these <laughs> years. That's so cute. But, hey, this this is devolving right from the beginning. But I do want to give a shout-out to one of our earliest uh, supporters of this, this guy named Dwayne Shanky out of uh, Colorado. He is the first person that actually gave me cheese curds. You see how I brought that all the way back around? Oh, I went cool. Spoke, very good. Yeah, I went and spoke at their church last year, and he's like, Oh man, we went to the store. He's like, I got to get these cheese curds. Cause I think him and his family are from Wisconsin. And I was like, man, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what a cheese curd is, but I like cheese. Is it, is it kind of like cheese? So anyway, we've wasted the first two minutes of this and I take full blame for all of it. But Hey, we don't know that everybody knows who you are at this point. Like we don't want to take that for granted. So just in a generic way to start it, the guys didn't listen to your first appearance on the show. Number one, what's wrong with you? And number two, we need to do a little bit of introductory work. So how about you give us an idea how you personally got into the fight for life? Uh, really like eighth grade and high school. I heard former two former abortion workers, one a former abortion doctor, speak. And that just convicted me. I was from a, a pro-life area in East Texas. I'm from Tyler. And, um, and so we got involved in college. I wanted to be a lawyer. And then that never happened because we launched 40 Days for Life, which is a, now in 65 countries and 1,000 cities where we hold peaceful vigils outside of abortion facilities uh, for 40 days. And we do it twice a year. And we have some locations now that do 365 and are out there every day. So uh, 40 Days for Life has exploded. Uh, it was very much my wife who who first took me out to pray in an abortion facility when I was 18. So I've just been always very convicted. And, and I think we do need more men uh, stepping up on this issue for sure. Well, we'll definitely dig more into that and, and we'll get into Dobbs and we'll get into Roe and, and Casey and all those different things. But specifically to, to tee you up a little bit more for 40 Days for Life, talk a little bit more about specifically what you do, because when you say peaceful visuals and things like that, I think just the fact that you mentioned that you're outside of these, you know, murder factories, some people call them abortion facilities, they assume that it's going to be the, the negative stuff that they've seen on the news or on the left wing websites where it's, you know, people holding up pictures of aborted fetuses, which I personally am okay with, but that's not exactly y'all's style or not your style at all, to be frank. So tell us a little bit more about what, what y'all do outside of those facilities specifically. Yeah, well, we're trying to get women to, number one, not have an abortion. So our first mm -hmm. priority is obviously the baby who's in his life is hanging in the balance and then the woman and then the workers. And we've got a great response from all three. And we, we do use graphic images in certain contexts, but not mm -hmm. out in front of the abortion uh, facilities. And, you know, we've now had 239, 240 actually, um, as of yesterday, 240 abortion workers have a change of heart and leave their jobs. Just not get mad that there's a bunch of religious crazy people out, outside their doors, which is how they view us. But they actually had a change of heart and they converted. Uh, so we've had 240 of those. We've had over 21,000 babies saved that we know of. Um, and then we've helped close uh, 116 abortion facilities, one of which is now uh, our headquarters, the closed Planned Parenthood in College Station, Texas, where 40 Days for Life first began. I mean, looking at the back of a baseball card can sometimes give you the wrong idea about uh, a player or an organization, but I mean, those numbers, 240 workers, 21,000 plus babies, and 116 facilities closed, I mean, 
it's convicting to a guy like me that spends so much of my time on this podcast talking about that. But I mean, aside from, you know, throwing y'all a bone here and, and talking about y'all here and there, I mean, that that's some serious numbers. But let's go back to something you mentioned from the beginning, Sean, which is you need to get more men into this. Okay. So a lot of people that don't spend a whole lot of time talking about this subject or thinking about this subject, even they assume that this is just a women's issue. So on the left, it's, you know, it's a woman's right to choose no feed or no uterus, no opinion type of thing. And then on the other side, on the right, it's like, well, you know, uh, the women will take care of that. The women will kind of push this. The women have always pushed this uh, entire idea, which kind of plays into the leftist narrative of no uterus, no opinion. So talk to me a little bit more about how you need more men to get into this fight. Yeah, well, it's a man's uh, world, uh, and any op- any abortion facility that's operating shows that it's indeed a man's world. Uh, we wish it was just a women's issue, but it's not. Uh, we didn't ask for abortion. We didn't vote on abortion. Women didn't vote on abortion. It was given to us by an all-male Supreme Court based on dated science, even in 1973, much less 2022. Most abortion facilities are owned by men. Most abortion doctors are men. And no one benefits more. I mean, women don't grow up and want an abortion. No one benefits more from abortion than bad men. Either the men making money off of it, off of vulnerable women, the the owners of the facilities, the doctors themselves, or the the promiscuous men, the men who don't want to take responsibility. Some do, many do, and we work with them. But the majority of them hide behind the lame, you know, whatever you decide, I'll support you. And, you know, most of the time, there's not a man to be found on the other side of the parking lot uh, of an abortion facility. When they're in the parking lot, it's the woman, she's alone, she's almost, if she didn't drive herself, with another woman, uh, it's a men's issue in the worst way. <laughs> so, I mean, I, we can go and just go to the sidelines and say, hey, you do what you you want to do. That has been the tradition in the United States, that men remove themselves from all responsibility, uh, that they remove themselves, uh, you know, from from any kind of, of uh, leadership role in the relationship and they pay for the abortion and, and kind of consider themselves a good guy. So no one benefits from abortion more than bad men. Well, and it kind of goes back to the passivity of Adam, uh, the passivity with original sin and those types of yeah. things. And we see that. And I don't think I'm going out on a limb here, Sean, by saying this fully grown boy concept that we see now, like it's boys that can shave. It's getting worse because we have boys pushing off maturity and pushing off manhood even farther into the future. And, or we have these, these fully grown up boys that can shave that are self-initiating into manhood. And so that we don't have these rites of passage as as a culture that explain, Hey, you're a man now, here's what's expected of you. And I've heard of some great people that are kind of men that work inside some of these pro-life facilities that basically take these, these men, you know, that maybe it's a, a pregnancy resource center or something like that. And they will take these men aside and basically call them into a higher purpose and a higher life and say, Hey, you, you got her pregnant, whether it's your, your girlfriend or, or, you know, just some random chick or something like that. And this is your time to step up. And this is what's expected of you. And this is how we make that happen. But we live in a culture where if you say that, oh my gosh, it sounds so judgy and so finger pointy. And oh my gosh, like, you know, this it's ruining this guy's life. Like, let him just kind of have a mea culpa. Let him just kind of take this, uh, take this and just get this, let this abortion happen and it'll be in his past and then it'll just kind of go away. So flow a little bit more on that if you don't mind. Yeah, and I, I wish it went away for the men, but it doesn't. And they, th- they certainly, on the day of the abortion, think that it's going to go away. 
but it doesn't. Abortion doesn't work like that. Uh, you remember the day that, that you drove your girlfriend to have the abortion. Uh, they remember um, what they said and didn't say. Um, I've, I speak with more men, to their credit, now who are 20 years past getting their girlfriend or even wife an abortion, and they realize, you know, I didn't want it deep down, but I didn't say anything. You know, I was a total coward. I didn't, I didn't say, no, we're not doing this. And I've seen men do that in the parking lot. It's, it's pretty awesome. When you get a boyfriend out smoking a cigarette or whatever while the, while the girlfriend's waiting on her abortion and you say, hey, come over here. And, and, and I've seen men run in and drag their, their wives, drag their girlfriends out and say, we're doing this. This was a mistake. And, and that's kind of the last sort of heroic thing they could do at that moment. Um, but many of them regret it. Many of them wonder if their girlfriend had an abortion and they don't know about it. Um, wow. That's kind of a phenomenon with with older gentlemen who thought, you know, I've, I've, I got around in my 20s and I didn't think about abortion. I didn't think about pregnancy. I was just running around and I never actually heard back from so and so. And and they'd start to do the math. If I was with this many women, one of them had to get pregnant. And, and but I never knew about it. So that's just an anxiety issue. The older you get, and this is something young men need to know, like you. You may be post-abortive and not even know it. Um, and so we work with all sorts of men uh, on this issue, um, but it is needed that men stand up. The, the, the worst thing is to buy the lie of like, no uterus, no opinion, which is just so uh, stupid. Uh, men and women need each other's opinion. You know, the first thing your wife says when you're going out, how does this look? You know, you don't sit there and go, I don't have a uterus. I can't tell you that your hair looks garbage or that you look beautiful. I have no opinion. Yeah. You know, we, we just isolate this stupid phrase for abortion uh, only. I mean, what what if what if your wife was going to have or your girlfriend said, hey, you know, the doctor said I can have knee surgery now or I can put it off 10 years. Well, no uterus, no opinion. You know, where do you want to eat tonight? No uterus, no opinion. It, it, it is just this made up phrase. And we don't, we also, it's very transphobic, uh, you know, by the way. Of course, uh, but, yeah. You know, but, you know, we've gotten ourselves in this world where we're divorcing the couple. You know, we're saying you can't speak on anything because you don't have the same biology as me. What if they don't have the same blood type? I mean, can the man have an opinion then? Can the woman have an opinion about the man? You know, um, what if the man wants to go and have an affair? And, uh, you know, he says, hey, you know, you have a uterus. You don't got what I got. So no opinion. It's all BS. And I think that's why you're seeing that response in a post-row world that they simply don't know what to say. And they haven't known what to say for 50 years. Well, it's because it fits really nicely on a t-shirt. No uterus, no opinion. My body, my choice. It's kind of a pithy statement. But I think what it all kind of boils down to, and then we'll get into Dobbs, is it's a boldness issue for men. And it's a boldness issue for men calling out other men and calling them into a level of maturity. There, there was a random guy. This was years ago. I, I talked about abortion on my podcast and I talked about it in a very direct and fervent way that I normally do. He somehow finds my phone number, calls me and he's like, yeah, you need to be really careful how you talk about these things. And, and uh, you know, I, I understand your passion and blah, blah, blah. And then he said, Hey man, you know, a guy like me, like my girlfriend had an abortion. And you know, whenever you talk the way you do, it makes me basically makes me feel bad. And the way I responded to him, I was like, why did you let your girlfriend murder your child? 
And I know that's kind of, that's kind of forceful and very forward to say, but that's how men talk. Like men don't go, yeah, men don't go, Oh, let me fly to wherever you are so I can hold your hand and, and talk you through it. It's like, no, why did you let that happen? And another thing I really thought of is kind of, you kind of mentioned this about guys that kind of had this player lifestyle where they, they had a lot of sexual partners. And I mentioned another thing, like you want to talk about people get mad at me on my show. I say so many crazy things. I did an episode after uh, Tiger Woods came back and won uh, a master, uh, one of the masters, uh, or I, I forget what he won. He won one of the major tournaments after, you know, he hadn't won in a long time and all that. Yeah. And I was, everyone's using the word redemption to describe what happened, you know, which is a theological term, redemption and those types of right. things. And I was like, do we really want to celebrate this guy? Like and, uh, uh, Nike, guy? Not, I like, remember that. I'm glad you brought that up. Nike did the commercial and yeah. it, it had Tiger swinging and it says winning solves everything. And I, right. I'm not sure you could say that to Tiger Woods' children or his ex-wife. But um, yeah, there's this just total. And, and that that is the sexism, right? That they claim they want to get rid of. Like Tiger right, just gets away with it. Well, and Sean, here's the thing is, and I said this on the show and people were so furious with me, but it's the same thing. You <laughs> said, it's like, Tiger Woods, what's wrong with how, you? How many hundreds of women had Tiger Woods slept with? And I'm assuming that he didn't always wear a condom, that they didn't always have safe sex whenever he was doing these rendezvous with these women. The odds of him getting one of those women pregnant is significantly high. And the odds of them then getting rid of the problem so he didn't have a love child he had to pay for for the next 15 years or, or sorry, 18 years or whatever. Like it's significantly high. And yet we put these people, these players, these, you know, uh, womanizers, we put them on this pedestal, which perpetuates the cycle of making abortion seem like it's a viable option. Like it's completely okay. Even in the post row world that we live in now. So let's, let's go ahead and get into that before we, we go off on too many other tangents. So Dobbs versus Jackson women's health organization, uh, organization decision came down on June 24th, 2022, one of the greatest days in the history of this country. So Dobbs was upheld by a six, three decision. And most importantly, Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey was overruled in a five, four decision. Justice Roberts, you suck, you smarmy, stupid dweeb. But I guess two questions I have for you, Sean. The first is what was your reaction to the Politico leak? of Alito's draft decision that came out, uh, you know, about a month before the official decision. And then obviously what was your reaction when we got the official announcement in June uh, on the 24th as to Roe and Casey being overturned? Well, first off, we expected Roe to be overturned. Um, And we started preparing for a post-Roe world in 2018 with the nomination of Kavanaugh. It was kind of well understood that um, Trump was saving Amy Amy Coney Barrett as a shoe-in. Um, in case he got a third nomination. And of course that happened. So Kavanaugh was kind of put through the grinder as we all remember. And then Amy Coney Barrett, you know, here we are September of 2020 and, uh, and she gets in. So we started preparing for a post row world. Dobbs was written to overturn Roe. That was the point of it. Um, and, and they did it. They did what they ought to do. Uh, it wasn't a surprise when I saw the leak. Uh, I, I, I guess I, I was upset about, the fact that, like, what kind of country is this? Like, we can leak a document in the Supreme Court. So as an institution, that's a problem. Um, but I was happy. I mean, I pulled it up on my phone, and I, the first uh, sentence was just gold. I mean, Alito, the Supreme Court did not overturn Roe. Uh, they beat it up with a baseball bat. And it, des- <laughs> right. it deserved it. It deserved it. And that's why, the, you know, Ginsburg said, who was very pro-abortion, it's bad law. It was wrongly decided, but had a good outcome. 
That's her quote because she wants abortion. Yeah. And 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 Sandra Day O'Connor uh, said the same thing, and she was pro-choice, and she said, "I will no longer tinker with the mechanisms of death. Roe is on a collision course with itself because of science." So. You know, it was bad law. Then they canceled Gingsburg after it was overturned. So I was happy with the leak to see it. Um, mm-hmm. I obviously wanted it to 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 stick, and and was con- I thought the leak guaranteed uh, that it would stick. All these stupid protests outside of the Supreme Court uh, justices' houses—that was all a guarantee that they were going to continue and, and overturn it. And then they did on on as you accurately put, a very historic day on the twenty fourth of June, and. Um, it was awesome. I mean, it, it was what we, we work with a lot of great lawyers. I know the guys that argued the Dobbs case. Uh, this was very well positioned to overturn Roe. And so it wasn't a surprise that it, that it happened, but there needs to be a little bit of reflection, obviously, in that it is a historical day. When you think about what in God's holy name have we actually done for the second time in our history, uh, we have dehumanized a segment of our population and the Supreme Court did it. We didn't vote uh, for Dred Scott uh, mm-hmm. dehumanizing blacks, and we didn't vote for Roe v. Wade dehumanizing the unborn. And and the Supreme Court's largest victories are often merely correcting their greatest error. So uh, it it should have been overturned, and it was overturned. Um, and so you know now we're in this this post Roe world, but it is. So we are so well positioned, the pro-life movement in the grassroots where this battle is finally going because we have things like 40 Days for Life, because we have sidewalk outreach, and because we have, you know, uh, five times as many pregnancy resource centers as abortion facilities who can offer free medical help to women. So we're in great shape and it's, it's going to the grassroots, which is where we've been winning. Well, we'll get more into specifics as to kind of what we can do now. I do want to get your read because you just mentioned the, uh, you know, pregnancy resource centers versus abortion clinics. Well, just this week, I'm, I'm, this will be coming out here in a couple of weeks. But uh, Elizabeth Warren, senator from Massachusetts, basically came out and she said there are three times as many pregnancy resource centers as there are abortion facilities in the state. And she was talking about it as if that should have been a gasp line like, <gasps> really? No, how dare they help women? Oh my gosh. Like what's happening? Like how could they possibly do that? So I'm very, very curious about what Democrats are going to try to, to do now, because I know there's some angling going on. I know there's some planning going on. Again, they have a, a three quarters dead person running the white house They're The Democrats are in trouble in the midterms. They're in trouble in 2024 unless Trump runs again, which, you know, we could debate that all day long. Like I'm, I'm wondering what they're going to try and do because this is the golden goose. This is this is their sacrament. They're, they're sacrament. perfect sacrament because this is a, when you look at the DNC's platform on this issue, is it is about as satanic as you can possibly get. It's abortion through all nine months of pregnancy until the date of birth and taxpayer funded. And if your state won't do it, we'll fly you into our state so you can have vacation and kill your kid and then go back home. And all these companies ran by people that think like us would much rather pay a few thousand bucks to have you go out of state and kill your baby and come back as opposed to giving you maternity leave and encouraging you to keep your baby. But what can and what will Democrats do in your opinion to get this back? Because they're not just going to be like, oh, Oh, shucks. I guess we can't kill children anymore. What are they going to do? There's a lot of posturing going on right now. They're going to try to politicize it and raise money for the November midterms. Uh, that will fail. Uh, abortion is a loser political issue. You can ask Governor uh, Yunkin. <laughs> it helped him yeah. get in. His, his opponent 
who was a nut, ran on abortion. And it's just a loot. It always has been for Democrats. You got to do it. You got to say we want abortion. And, and because the lobby of Planned Parenthood is so powerful. Um, but that that's going to happen. And when that fails, allow me to sprinkle you with a little optimism. Okay. The Democrats, most of them, we hear Elizabeth Warren. She's a ding dong. We hear all these people. Think of the Democrats you don't hear from right now. I think we will see. Remember, Roe v. Wade created a culture. It's legal, whatever, do it. And it wore Republicans out. It wore Democrats out. Bill Clinton was a pro-life uh, Democratic governor in the 80s, okay, mm -hmm. years after Roe. He had to become pro-choice to run for president, and he's the one that created safe, legal, and rare, which is now gone, obviously. I think Democrats are tired of abortion. I think that they're ashamed of Planned Parenthood, but they have to take their money uh, because it's just scandal after scandal. It's a loser politically. And I think you will have in a lot of these districts, the, the, you know, not D.C., but a lot of these states where you have a pro-abortion Democrat senator, um, I think you'll see them lighten their abortion position. I really do. And you'll certainly see that from the House of Representatives because some of these people are sick of that platform. They can now rely on, I mean, if you're, a, if you're a Democrat from Nebraska, you can sit there and say, it's the law, the land, Roe v. Wade, and you move on when you're campaigning. Now it's different. Do you think Nebraska should have abortion because Nebraska has that choice? You could take any state, a Kansas, Kentucky, that's going to be an issue. And I, I, they don't want to talk about it. They're not good at talking about it. It's a negative. I mean, the pro-life message is so positive. That's one thing I saw a lot of pro-choice people say. Like, we just lost this debate. We knew we were losing it. They were younger. They had science on their side. And they became the compassionate side. And we became the angry side. You know, I saw a lot of pro-abortion feminists saying that the day that it came out. Because you get that slice of honesty in the initial reaction. And, and that... That goes into the political realm. So I actually think we're going to see Democrats, not the whole party, we're going to see a lot of them in these pro-life states just say, you know, maybe I was, they may not say admit they were on the wrong side of history, but, you know, the states have a right to regulate abortion and I support that um, and just move on from there because nobody's going to be talking about Roe because of Alito's sword, you know, and so he just, you can't defend Roe and he laid it out in 78 great pages. So uh, I actually think I'm optimistic that you're going to start seeing pro-life um, or at least states governing themselves popular. And the example I'll use is COVID. Everybody wanted a mask. Everybody wanted lockdowns. Everybody wanted that. And then one state says, nah, and then another state and another state and another state. And now if you love COVID, and you want 25 vaccines and you want a mask, you can go to California. And if you don't, you can go to Texas or Florida or Oklahoma. And, and people are just fine with that. And you saw a lot of the governor of Colorado on COVID. It was a huge lockdown. And he said, we've been wrong. We go outside, you know, and you got to wear a coat if you go outside in Colorado because it's cold. But we don't make you wear a coat. You take that risk. And so we're done with the mask. I think you're going to see a similar thing on abortion. I really do. So that is a very optimistic take. And as I sit here and hear you describe it, I don't know that I share that optimism. Now, I do have a default mechanism in my Irish brain, which is pessimism. I'm very pessimistic about all things. I thought we were- well, I'm Irish way. too, and pessimism is far more fun, as we <laughs> well, know. The, <laughs> well, the greatest I, Irish phrase is cheer up. 
everything's about to get much worse. <laughs> hey, I completely see that. And if I look back at my life, I can see that apply to so many situations. But I can say, like, I thought the the rioting and, the, and all the craziness was going to be worse than George Floyd's summer. But we exactly. haven't seen that. Right. No. Like, and so I, I was wrong on it's that. It's just different. I'm telling you, they don't want to go near abortion. It's not. And I, I predicted that. I, but, but do you really think so? Because look, Colorado, you know, said, hey, abortion up. That's the, the thing I'm actually concerned about is when we get the abortion numbers for 2023, that abortion numbers total in the United States may actually go up because of the things like, so all these states had trigger laws, states like Oklahoma and Texas and all that. But then you have all these other states like Illinois and New Jersey and, and Rhode Island and California, New York, they're ramping up and they want their women, hey, come and hang out on the beach. We'll schedule your appointment for the afternoon and then we'll put you back on the beach with a with a martini afterwards uh like that's the thing that i'm concerned about is these women in the surrounding states like they can't get one in arizona they're just going to go across the border and kill their baby like having you know people talk about putting abortion facilities on federal lands in states that won't allow for abortion i am concerned that we're not going to see this content this huge drop off so help me understand more because you're yeah. in this more than i am yeah, well, it's okay. So what you're what you're forgetting, and, and if I were in your position, I'd be like, yeah, that makes total sense. And part of me believes you, but it's just not true the way things play out with abortion because it really is heart and mind. Women don't want to have an abortion. Th that's just the reality. Really? It doesn't matter. I they mean, don't they're, they're get out and stop their abortion. That's, that's why Bezos is an idiot. I mean, like he's some heroic, I'll pay for your abortion. He's like the lame boyfriend. And she's like, right. I, I haven't even decided, you know? And I'll pay for your abortion so you can get back to work. The average woman tells one person before she has an abortion. It's not her parents, sometimes not her boyfriend. Uh, it's often another female friend who mm -hmm. has to take her. You think she's gonna walk into her HR director's office or her boss? They're not proud of it. Some are gonna do it. But it's all virtue signaling, these stupid CEOs, all the corporate. Women don't, they're, they're not going to take their check for the reimbursement and, and storm out and everybody stand up and applaud and say, you go girl. It is not going to be that. There's one judgmental side of this issue, and it's the abortion side. And 53% of abortions are repeats. So do you think she's going to go back? Because that HR director, and we've talked to a lot of Planned Parenthood former workers, and they all say, you know, they'd come in again and we'd be like, didn't you learn your lesson? You know, and we're out there still trying to help them. But they're, you know, uh, I know Abby asked one one woman, what's wrong with you? You know, Abby Johnson. And that that's going to play out in the, you're going to tell your, your boss, this is a dark secret. They're not, they're so disconnected from women that they don't understand how this will play out in the grassroots. Now, another thing, distance is a deterrent. And we're not going to see that immediately. Like you see the, the Oklahoma abortion numbers go up when Texas had their ban, you know, before Roe and, and all that. You'll see that spike. But somebody in Houston, are they going to are they going to drive to Colorado? I mean, we're degrading women by saying that they're just clamoring and dying to have an abortion. We've seen in Texas distance from an abortion facility is a deterrent. Why? Because they think about it and they Google it. And they learn about free help. They learn about adoption. I think all this rhetoric creates this sort of evil nature in women. And it's the opposite. They're built to love their children and protect them. And any kind of distraction away from abortion, whether it be distance, whether it be having to tell your boss so you can get reimbursed, which most of them would just go and have the abortion. They'll find the money. 
That's the one thing we work with. Poor women, homeless women, they find the money for the abortion. Uh, that's not the issue, even though corporate America thinks it is. Um, they're just, it, it, you are going to see the numbers go down. Texas did 50,000 abortions a year, and it's now abortion-free. Uh, Missouri. And what they're going to do, and we're prepared for it, they will build abortion facilities on these border states. And you'll have crazy places like, you know, Colorado and California. And of course, those congressmen and senators will be like, I love abortion more than anybody. Um, But I'm telling you, in these swing states and certainly in red states, there's a lot of Democrats in Congress from red states. I think you're going to see them softly change their position on abortion as they softly over time change their position to support abortion. Okay. I'll say that, that you're swaying me a, a little bit on it. Like if I have to fake it till I make it this whole optimism thing, I still don't even quite understand what it means. Optimism. Uh, but like I, I will fake it till I make it. Cause I, I so hope that you're right. I so hope that you are right, that this isn't going to be and that I'm emotional not thing. Positive on stuff like this, but I've just, over the years, with all the conversations and all the interactions, we've closed abortion facilities in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, Seattle. No one wants to be there. The worker, it's hard running an abortion facility. It's going to be even harder now. And I'm telling you, this is market driven. And there are a lot of things that, you know, not to mention with the corporate issue, the lawsuits So you're going to pay for Sally to go to Colorado for her abortion. But Jennifer, her daughter, who's eight, needs to go to Houston for leukemia treatment. Are you paying for her flight? No. Are you going to pay for for, John needs to get a knee replacement and the best doctor is one state over. Are you going to pay for that? No. I I literally 90 percent of this is virtue signaling. And I've talked to so many lawyers and they break down like how what a legal nightmare this is for already, you know, HR departments that are, people are dying to sue. You know, I mean, employment law is the sketchiest thing when you get to corporations, you know, they're trying not to offend every, anybody. And now you're, you're paying for someone's abortion or travel to an abortion and you're not paying for somebody, somebody's kid who has to go to Philadelphia to get a heart transplant. It's well, virtue. And Sean, I do wonder as well, like, so Dick Sporting Goods was probably the one that made the biggest wave because the actual, you know, verbiage that they sent out to their employees came out. Now I stopped shopping at Dick's years ago, whenever they stopped selling gun parts and and ammo and stuff like that to Virtue Signal. And I wonder if it's going to be a snapback. So like the NBA went full Black Lives Matter during, uh, after, you know, St. George Floyd uh, was, you know, he died in police custody. And then they lost so much of their audience that they're like, oh, I guess our mostly white audience doesn't like being preached to about how racist they are as they tune in to watch these African-American players, you know, play a sport and make tens of millions of dollars a year to do so. And then they went away. And so they got rid of all the Black Lives Matter stuff and the audience slowly started to come back. I haven't come back because I'm, I just, I'm not interested in being preached to. And I know it's coming the next time something like this happens. So I wonder if that's going to happen with some of these organizations where it's like they, they came out there and said, Hey, we're going to do this. And you know, people are like, okay, I'm just not going to buy, you know, your tube socks anymore. But also I hope that there's companies, I think it's a buffer insurance out of Texas. They announced, they said, 
okay, you know, in reference to this whole thing being overturned, we are going to pay for our employees, not only to keep their kids, but we're going to have, you know, significant maternity and paternity leave. We're going to pay for people if they want to adopt children. We're going to help them pay with that process. And I was like, I hope there are more companies like that because within 24 hours, Buffer Insurance probably doubled their profit for the quarter because people are like, what do y'all sell? It doesn't even matter. I'm buying it. I'll change from State Farm and buy whatever you're buying. So hopefully we see more of that. So that might dovetail into this next question. And I appreciate you letting me kind of like weave my way through through your reasoning on that last thing. But this is kind of the, the big crux of this, okay? Roe is now dead. Casey is now dead. Now what? So what does the focus of the pro-life cause need to be now? Because that Friday night, I told everybody, I popped a new bottle of whiskey, I pulled out a cigar and I enjoyed myself. But by Saturday morning, it's like, okay, batten down the hatchets because it's time to go to work. Yeah, yeah, because it goes to the grassroots uh, where the pro-life movement is the strongest. Planned Parenthood has a huge disconnect and the former directors who have converted have talked about this. Um, There's a big difference between the corporate side of Planned Parenthood, which traditionally they've hired very smart, very talented people, unfortunately. Their New York PR firm, their messaging, their lawyers and lobby in DC, very powerful. Then there's a drop. So it is, it is, you know, the lady running your local abortion facility, wherever you live, there's a huge disconnect between corporate Planned Parenthood and those people. And they're left out to dry. You know, a lot of companies struggle with that. But the, the boots on the ground are out to dry. You got 40 days for life running around. You've got your, maybe you're in a pro-life state or pro-life leaning state. Um, you can't tell people where you work. Um, and you have to fly in and out of town abortionists because there's an abortion doctor shortage. Uh, another big issue they're going to have in a post-real world. And, and you just have all this drama and there's this disconnect. Well, I'll tell you, for the first time in a long time, uh, Planned Parenthood is incompetent at the CEO position. Alexis McGill Johnson is not competent. I'm saying that respectfully. Um, mm. She doesn't know what she's doing. She was un- ill-prepared for this moment big time. You go through their Twitter feed leading up to the overturning of Roe. They've relied on Roe their entire history. And, you know, it's gay rights, it's trans, it's gun violence. It's, you would have no idea Roe is on the brink of being overturned. You have no idea the leak happened just from their Twitter account. So I'll spare your uh, audience from going to their Twitter account. But yeah. I, did a vlog, I did a vlog on it and I just go through live, you know, through their Twitter. It's unbelievable. So uh, they had uh, Cecile Richards as a CEO. She mm-hmm. was very effective, unfortunately, um, for the pro-life movement. She was there 12 or 14 years. And then it's just been a revolving door and they're on their fourth CEO in five years. And Alexis McGill Johnson is not up for this. And you just see them putting out other people for interviews. So at a time, which I think is divine providence, when they're so weak at the top, it's going to DC, it's leaving DC and going to the grassroots where we're the strongest. So, you know, we can, you can close an abortion facility anywhere. We've closed 104 in America. Okay, 104 abortion facilities, one of which is our headquarters. Out of that 104, 45% were in, are in blue pro-abortion states where abortion will remain legal. This becomes a market issue, and that is to our advantage. So with all that in mind, one thing that I'm seeing now in terms of the reaction, because I know you wanted to spend some time really talking about the reaction, and, and we could ignore some of the, the stupid signs and some of the, the slogans and bumper sticker stuff that people are using to raise money, but I keep seeing this 
this one particular word from pro-choice people and also supposedly pro-life people. They say, we need to make abortion unthinkable. Now, what the unthinkable word is and how they're using it is a Trojan horse for every one of their leftist policy prescriptions. They want universal health care. They want paid uh, maternity leave. They want universal pre-K. They want stuff about uh, you know global warming. And they, they want all these things kind of wrapped in because their argument is the reason why women are getting these abortions are because they don't have good enough jobs or, or they don't have childcare. They don't have all the different things that I just listed. And there's many, many others. And unfortunately, Sean, I feel like a lot of kind of wokey Christians and and kind of like Christians that have kind of a lefty bend, more liberal in their mindset, they've bought into that thing because I think it should be unthinkable because it's an image bearer of Christ that's innocent, the most Im- innocent possible human being, image bearer of Christ, so we shouldn't murder them. But they're like, we need to make it unthinkable, so we need to do all these other things. There's the and campaign talking about the whole life thing. And so they're, they're, they're okay with abortion because they know it's really, really hard on the women. Talk a little bit about the unthinkable thing, because I know you've dealt with that pushback before. Like, well, yeah, you're anti-abortion, but you only care about the baby. What about the mom? And what about all these? And what about societal problems? What about cultural problems? And what about systemic racism? And what about, you know, things that happened to my great-great-grandfather that never happened to me? And it kind of all goes back into that one word, unthinkable. Go. Yeah, unthinkable, it just needs to be not available. I mean, that what makes something unthinkable is when you don't know you have access to it. I used to ask my my Irish granny, how did you survive in Beaumont, Texas without air conditioning? And she said, Sean, you don't know what you don't have. You don't have, you don't, you know, you don't care about what you don't know. And and that's okay. You know, I mean, it's like, we're going to make it unthinkable. And we do for that reason, you know, Uh, but it's, it is something we talk about. What the Nazis did was unthinkable. Um, The fact that we had robust slave trade, and, and Southern Christians had no issue in their conscience. That's unthinkable. Uh, but we still talk about those things. Uh, we, we talk about genocide and Holocaust around the world. And so abortion is, it, it, it's, we want to make it unthinkable that it's okay. Um, all the other efforts, I think, to sort of build this huge, well, now we're going to provide everything for everyone. Number one, a lot of that's available. I mean, the, the women choose life because there are free alternatives or they can do it. You know, they, they, you know, not everybody is, is, is poor, you know? Um, and so the whole idea that somehow if you roll out the red carpet um, and you give people a bunch of stuff and I am for holding the men accountable for child support until the mm-hmm. kid's 18. I think it's shameful that a lot of Democrats don't support that. I mean, yeah. what, what are they doing? You know, and it's because of their ridiculous abortion stance. Another reason I think that they'll they'll switch and they'll support that. Um, but you know, uh, the 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 whole idea of free medical care for a woman seeking an abortion um, is good, and that's provided by the church, not the state. Those are individual donors to their credit that are giving money to local pregnancy resource centers, doctors donating their time. Uh, nurses, you know, working for less than what they would make in a hospital. And so a lot of that is is already there. I, I think some of that reaction, the knee-jerk reaction, is because people are basically being introduced to this issue <laughs> for the first yeah, time. For the first time. They yeah. don't know any of this stuff exists. They haven't thought about abortion. They don't know what to say. And they're like, well, now we need to provide, you know, A, B, and C, and it and it's there. That's kind of how we got to this to this moment. But somebody who wants to create a bill on the environment or whatever. 
all that's going to go away. Um, I think the biggest response, which does tie into the environment, is that we're starting to see everyone's inner eugenicists come out. Uh, mm -hmm. Because the first thing, and I said that this would happen right when you, you know, they overturn Roe, this will hurt poor women, right. minority women, black women, and people who are pregnant with a child with disabilities. And it's like they're, they're kind of like, hey, we're going to have a bunch of minorities running around and poor people running around and, and disabled kids running around. We can't have you know, are you nuts? You can't overturn row. And, and they have no idea how they sound. You're like sitting there going, uh, so <laughs> yeah. we, we want to abort the black babies. And I've been in uh, interviews and one of them was the Alabama abortion ban. And they interviewed one of the few <laughs> clinic directors in Alabama of uh, uh, this abortion facility. And I mean, literally, she should have just had like the Marlboro hanging out of her mouth. I mean, she's like, yeah. these black women aren't going to have anywhere to go to get their abortion. You know, and you're just like, I don't think you can say that, you know? And so the, you, you start to see what, what abortion comes from. And it is eugenics. You're going to be poor. You don't want your baby. You're on crack. Uh, your dad's a rapist. Um, you're a minority, whatever you need abortion. Your baby is, has down syndrome. I mean, talk about the, the great sin of our culture is having downs. And so you get aborted. And by the way, we decide that. And we can because we have the power and you don't. So it, it's where abortion comes from. It's eugenics, you know? And, and that's, that's what Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, made very clear when she said we want to weed out the Negro population. Um, I mean, all of that is very clear and you start to see it. And I think we do need to call people out on that. Um, that I'm, I don't fear uh, black people. I don't fear Latinos. I don't fear a poor people. I grew up poor. Like all of this whole notion that somehow you're, you don't deserve to live <laughs> because of your color. I don't know how the abortion industry gets away with it, but it's really starting to come out right now. And, and it, we need to call them out on it. I think overall, Sean, it's a lack of thinking. And this, the leak, and then the Dobbs decision has caused the public to think about this issue for longer than 12 seconds. Because, yeah. I mean, you've seen this on the street. You see people like, oh, are you pro-life or pro-choice? Ah, I guess I'm pro-life. Well, what about in the case of rape and incest? It's like, oh, I guess we can kill those babies. Or are you pro-life or yeah. pro-choice? Oh, I guess I'm pro-choice. Well, have you, do you know what an abortion looks like? Do you know what it, uh, you know what the process is? And then you show them a cartoon rendering of what an abortion is. They're like, what, what? That's an abort. That's what it looks like in the womb. That's a babe. That's a baby. And you're like, yeah, that's a baby. Heart's beating, you know, uh, liver's creating blood cells, you know, kidneys are, are taking care of fluids. Like that's all happening right there. And that baby's being torn apart with a suction tube. Right. And that's why I think it's, it's really important. It's causing people to really, really think through this. And that's why I like speaking. They, they also, groups. on the other end of that, on the other end of that, the, uh, we, we put our nephew and our kids and our family members ultrasound on the fridge and we have for right. 30 years and that's starting to play out. Like, I don't know. I'm a little uncomfortable with this. Like we have little Billy's ultrasound up there, but then we can go and have an abortion, you know, the day before the child's born or 12 weeks or whenever. 
Right. And it also forces people to start being intellectually honest because you say, Hey, are you pro-life or pro-choice? They're like, Oh, I'm pro-choice. You're like, okay. So like, you know, the, the day that the woman and the husband are driving to the hospital to give birth, they could both decide, you know what, let's hang a Richard and let's go over here to this place and let's actually just kill the baby. They're like, no, no, that's crazy. I'm like, well, that that's an abortion. Well, no, like it's not, that's just, that's a baby right there. It's like, okay, when during the process of gestation, is it not a living human being? So let's just start there. And they can't answer it because then you start getting into the viability argument. And then it's like, well, in some places in this country, a 21 week old uh, gestation fetus has a pretty good chance survival other places in the country it doesn't maybe it's a 23 or 24 week depending upon what doctors and what facilities are in the area and so then you're like okay so someone in rural kentucky uh, is not worth life at 21 weeks of gestation but somebody like you know outside of the you know the best hospital facility in the country they're worthy of life because they they were you know born or near that area geographically the whole thing just kind of falls apart which i, I you, you guys have talked a lot about this you've equipped a lot of people maybe if we have time here at the end we'll get into some uh, some more of those abortion arguments but i did want to talk about something legislatively that people have kind of thrown out there but it hasn't really gotten a lot of play and so i don't really know exactly why that is so I've heard people talk about, okay, we need to push for legislation, you know, maybe an amendment to the constitution that, you know, basically eradicates abortion federally, right? So just like it was legal-ish with Roe v. Wade, it would be completely banned regardless of your state's laws, regardless of any of those things. So that's one thing I've heard, but haven't heard a lot about. And then I've also heard about adding the unborn to the 14th Amendment, right? So uh, making that change to where they're they're added there. And I know you need two thirds and it's kind of, a, it, kind of a crazy situation, but do you see those things happening? Because that would be one way to dampen what some of these blue states are doing. And is that the next legislative push for the pro-lifers is to actually get an amendment or an adjustment to the 14th amendment? I don't think so. I, I've seen a lot of the talking points about that. I don't think it's a very serious notion because Roe was overturned. Um, and I think legislation will, will probably fail either way. I think there's a lot, I'll get, I'll get to that in a minute. There's a lot of legislation that needs to happen at the state level. And that's where the battle is. The mail-in abortions, the, um, you know, the, the distance, all of those things. And we're in, the pro-life movement's in great position at the state level. I, I overall, I may be naive, but it's dead at the federal level. You know, Biden wants to codify Roe. So what would happen? They're going to vote. He said this the day that we recorded this. Mm -hmm. He's going to codify Roe. He's going to have Congress, you know, make Roe law. So here's what would happen. There would be an appeal. That appeal would go to Who? The Supreme Court. The Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court would say, oh, yeah, but maybe you, you know, it's busy summer. We overturn Roe. <laughs> so it, it, it doesn't work like that. Like they overturned Roe. They sent abortion back to the states. The only way to get it back is to wait for everybody to die or whatever and get your own or expand the court like they're talking about and get new justices and send some abortion case. And those new justices say abortions for everybody all the time. Uh, but that's not going to happen. It's certainly not going to happen anytime soon. Um, so, but in, and for the, I, for the pro-life movement, I mean, I'm not a lawyer. I'd have to talk to some of the, our, our attorneys, but I don't want that added in the 14th amendment because the constitution assumes right now mm. that we, it says, you know, that we have a right to life. It assumes life in the womb. And so to sort of highlight them, we don't highlight anybody else. We don't say, and teenagers also, you know, we don't say, and born people also in the constitution. So I, I don't, I don't think that that would do anything. I think it sort of raises our hand for, for making a mistake. So 
I think federally, not much is going to be done for either side because of Roe being overturned, and it will go back uh, to the states. Biden may be able to get a budget amendment to pay for women to travel and all of that. Uh, but but the, to me, that's more signaling and, and desperation and how many women are going to take them up on it. Some will, but the majority of them, as I mentioned earlier, you know, they're not leaping up in the air uh, to, to go have an abortion. So um, I think that the freak out that you mentioned is valid. And you're exactly right. Nobody's thought about it for longer than 12 seconds. And we can't live in a fantasy world anymore. We can't, we don't let pregnant women on a roller coaster. You know, uh, we do surgeries on unborn children. We put Scott Peterson in, in, in prison for, for double murder. Um, you know, second degree murder of his unborn child who the court named Connor. Okay. Mm. Recognized his name, which was Connor. So we can't do all these things and then say, oh yeah, and we can have an abortion. And that's your whole point about we're not mutual funds. Uh, we don't gain value. We don't gain dignity over time. We simply are. Right. And so, and that kind of goes in and I know there's a lot and I don't really spend any time on this, but there are some people in the pro-life side of things that, you know, they want to talk about sphere sovereignty with, with God and how, you know, the full criminalization and all those things. And they never want to use the scientific argument because they feel like that decreases the biblical argument. I don't necessarily want to go there where I do want to go is where you're talking about the state laws. Because here's something that I have not seen. So if, if I'm incorrect on this, I, please correct me. But I have not seen any states, even the states with trigger laws uh, that went into effect, even states that are looking to create, you know, these bans on abortions and all these things, where they criminalize all of the people involved in the abortion. I've only seen where they were criminalizing the doctor performing it, not the woman seeking it out, not the woman's family, not the guy that dropped her off or picked her up, not any of those people. And I've had this argument with people on the pro-life side and I haven't really gotten a whole lot of ground. But again, I always use this example because it's an example from my house. But let's just say I hate my wife. I need her to die, but I don't want to do it myself. So I find some random shady dude, pay him a few grand and like, hey, you kill my wife. Well, if he kills her and then and he also had a buddy that drove him there so that he didn't have to worry about driving when he was going to kill this random chick. Right. If they get caught and then they point at me and say, I'm the one that did it. We all go down for murder. So the, the guy that shot her, the guy that drove her there and me, we all go down for murder. But somehow this is, I think, a, a, a blind spot for the pro-lifers. It's where like we totally get that on a born person that's living outside the womb. But then we, we want to create a, a different category of, you know, some sort of empowerment or some sort of empathy for the woman in this case. Because, oh, well, maybe she was, you know, encouraged to do it or any of those types of things. It's those excuses that wouldn't work. If a gangbanger went to court and said, oh, no, you know, the my my brother who's also in the gang, he encouraged me to shoot this person for like a week or two. And then I finally did it. It's like, great. OK, we might deal with your brother later, but you're the one that pulled the trigger, right? Yeah. OK, well, you're going down for murder. So where do you guys stand on this? Because for me, it makes no sense why we wouldn't criminalize everybody. Number one, I don't think it's the issue you think it is. <laughs> so okay. so n number two, uh, over 80% of women said that they wouldn't have had an abortion if it were illegal. So that's another statistic that shows they're not like clamoring to have an abortion. We are going to see uh, a decrease. I just don't think we're there as far as, I mean, everything you're saying, of course, like the, the analogies are, are, are totally, you know, reasonable. Hey, I come, I, I paid some guy to kill my wife and I don't, I don't go to prison. Number one, we're so new into this that that's a loser legislatively. And so you, you, everybody's going to run from it, uh, criminalizing a woman for, for having an abortion. 
nobody's going to go for that now uh, because the, because it's it's so it's so fresh and it's a loser. It will lose um, in 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 state legislation uh, across the country. So that's that's kind of the the big picture part of it. Um, the other side of it is that. Uh, almost all of them I've, I've seen do criminalize uh, the doctor. And that's the ultimate deterrent. We're talking about making abortion unthinkable. It can't be available. When a doctor can be sued, like in Texas where I live, by me or you for doing an abortion, that's when he says, I'm out. And most abortionists, they don't plan on doing it. They don't go to medical school saying, I'm going to be the best abortionist ever, like a cardiovascular surgeon or an oncologist. It doesn't work that way. They're almost always sued. They had medical malpractice. There's some issue and they need the cash. There's a lot of money. So they do it. Once they can be prosecuted for something, these are cowards. These are very few abortionists are loud and proud. And the ones that are are great to read their interviews because they just lay it out. But most of them aren't. And and those type of laws are what's going to completely um, end abortion. Um, I think prosecuting the women and talking about that and are actually doing it now is simply a distraction. I just don't think we're there in our in our our journey to make America abortion free. Um, and it can be a rabbit trail. OK, so you say that we're not there. But so I would agree with that reality. I do think that is legis- intellectually. I think it is legislatively a loser to go for that. I guess my question is, should we? Because for the last several years, you could have said legislatively trying to overturn Roe was a stinker based on who was in the Supreme Court and what the breakdown was and who was likely to win the next presidential election, so on and so forth. So I guess it's like, should we though? Because I I think there is a truth element here that even if we know it's not possible, that's still something that we should work towards regardless of if it's going to be popular. Does does that make sense? Because I like, I I I know this isn't like a big issue, you know. No, and that's a good, that's a good point. Are we just going to ignore this? But I think what will happen is what happens with all laws or particularly when you, when a major law gets overturned Hmm. um, and sent back to the States, we're going to have to have precedent sent. So number one, we're going to have to see if women have illegal abortions in States where it's illegal. I mean, Let's assume that's going to happen. Right. Uh, Then the circumstances of that, um, as in any kind of, I, I think it's going to be very similar to drugs. Um, I've never used drugs, but I have friends who recovered from drugs and I, I hear testimonies, you know, of drug users and, and I, I, I know prosecutors who, who, you know, they'll say, oh yeah, this guy was doing crack and I gave him six months and I'm like, he's a druggie. And it's like, no, no, no. You want the dealer, you know? And, I think yeah. it's going to be very similar to uh, the, the levels uh, of, of, you know, is a woman going and having eight late-term abortions in her kitchen with a doctor, um, you know, or is she drugged up and she travels? We're going to have to have the cases to determine the law. So uh, just as we did with abortion over all this time, we keep prosecuting women for the death of their uh, you know, a uh, two-year-old who they left in the car, but they can go in and have an abortion. Uh, or we, we prosecute, um, uh, you know, like the Scott Peterson example, where he's like, right. second-degree murder, you crazy? This is an unborn fetus, you know? Um, so I we're going to need the cases, and then it will play out state by state. And I think, just predicting it, it will be very similar uh, to drug charges. In certain areas, uh, you're, you're finished, man. You smoke a joint, and you're going 10 years of the penitentiary. 
and in other places, which Kamala Harris was a ruthless prosecutor, ironically. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, all of those types of things are going to have to play out at the state level. And then we'll know what kind of law, like if you, if you at all seek the abortion or in sound mind, you're going to prison. We just don't have the cases yet because we don't know how women will respond. We don't know how men will respond. I like your analogy about the 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 wife because I think we'll also see an increase of men forcing their girlfriends to have an abortion or threatening them. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to the men issue. Uh, again, with any of these issues, whether we're talking about abortion or gun violence or drugs or any of those types of things, the spreading of the gospel is is the first step to change these things because it changes the heart's desire uh, to do darkness, to do bad things, to do negative things. And so, again, that's kind of always the undercurrent of this. But I, I and here we are. Like, I'm just going to be so interested to see what five years from now, 10 years from now, looking back on this summer, because we're still in the milieu of all this. We're still in the drama of all this. Like, you know, the, the justices are, have barely gotten into their vacations at this point. So we're still just right here in the thick of it. So we'll be interesting to look back and kind of see where we go. But man, I was going to hit a bunch of other things, but I know we're out of time. We've covered a lot of ground here today. Really appreciate you letting me go down all these rabbit trails. But as of for now, that is all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? We are going to immediately see a lot of abortion facilities close. Six have already shut down in Texas just in the last week. So they're going to start selling some land. They don't have the cash. So we will see an immediate impact um, of, of facilities closing and, and either relocating to another state or just going out of business altogether. Amen, amen, and amen. Sean Carney, thank you for coming back on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed Sean Carney's return appearance on the show. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So here are the links I've got for you today. I've got a link to the book that I talked about from the beginning. You have to go get this book. It's called What to Say When, The Complete New Guide to Discussing Abortion. It's going to give you a lot of answers, like I've talked about before, and how you can answer back these pro-abortion arguments. I've got a link to the 40 Days for Life website. And then I've got a link to episode 262 of this podcast, which was Sean's first appearance, and then episode 70 of the podcast, where I talked about the pro-life movie Unplanned. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Cutting the Tide, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album, Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>